0: Thanks again for subscribing to the Field Guide to Particle Physics podcast. I hope you're enjoying the little factoids and snippets about all the individual particles that we actually run into kind of on a daily basis, at least some of them. We'll have a new crop of episodes with new particles for you starting in the new year. But in the meantime, I thought I'd share a bit of a story that really emphasizes the interplay between particle physics, humankind, and our industries and economy. We've called the series The Alpha Particle, and you can think of it as a preview to some of the particles that we'll introduce next year. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. This is our mini-series entitled The Alpha Particle. In it, we'll explore the relationship between the lightest noble gas, radioactivity, and quantum mechanics. In the process, we'll bring to life the story behind the particle, originally labeled only as alpha. This is episode 1, Helium. The story of helium, and why it's in short supply, is layered and worth telling in its own right. It brings together ideas from chemistry, technology, radioactivity, welding, rocket engineering, ship building, geophysics, and quantum mechanics. Helium is a major player in the story of Alpha, and by the end of this miniseries, you'll be able to answer some questions like, where does helium come from? How does quantum mechanics lead to the formation of helium? What is the relationship between helium and radioactivity? And what exactly does helium have to do with plate tectonics and the aurora? Put differently, these questions are literally asking, what on earth does helium have to do with particle physics? But before we get to all of that, I have a personal question for you. Do you remember your first experience with helium? When I was a small child, I remember being seriously confused by balloons. On TV and at the grocery store, they were all floating, tied down with ribbons, and yet all the balloons that we had at home were just kind of flat. Well, the resolution came one day in a pavilion near my elementary school. I saw someone filling balloons, and not from their lungs like we did, but from a giant metal canister, and all those balloons were floating. Hey, what's that? I asked the balloon guy. Helium, he said, to fill the balloons. Helium, I said to myself. Helium. It might seem like an obvious question for a child to ask, but it took me a long time to even wonder where helium comes from. That's the thing about modern life, so much of this stuff is just kind of there. Like carbonation for the coke machine comes from those little CO2 tanks. Helium, as far as I knew or cared, just came on trucks in big tanks, like at a dive shop or something. For a long time, I just figured, well, you know, they probably pull it out of the air. But you see, that's the thing. Helium floats away. So how exactly would you just pull it out of the air? Wouldn't all of the helium just kind of escape into space? Just to get us all on the same page, let's review some basic facts about helium. Helium is an element that has atomic number 2. That is, its nucleus has two protons. And because of that, the helium atom also has two electrons in orbit around them. As it turns out, the helium nucleus also has neutrons. Neutrons are particles that are kind of like protons, but they don't have any electric charge. Helium comes naturally in two stable variants, helium 3 and 4, with one and two neutrons, respectively. Other isotopes of helium have been created by humans in the lab, adding, you know, three or four or five, six, seven extra neutrons. But most of these decay almost immediately. But helium-6 and helium-8 both take just under a second to decay. Virtually all the helium found on Earth is helium-4 with two neutrons. There's very, very little but some helium-3. And because they're both stable, it suggests that they have a very different origin story for each of these two isotopes. Those stories really couldn't be more different. Helium-3 is formed in nuclear fusion reactions, you know, typically in stars helium-4 is formed? Well, that's the subject of this whole podcast. Because chemistry depends almost entirely on electrons, helium-3 and 4 share the same chemical properties. Helium is a gas at room temperature, and pressure and the density of that gas is actually pretty low. The air we breathe is 10 times more dense than helium gas, which accounts for that whole kind of breathe-in-some-helium-and-sound-like-a-chipmunk party trick. But as we'll see, Being a gas with such low density comes with all kinds of other problems. Heavy things sink, light things rise. This is true in the water and in the air. Or both. Ask any swimmer, air bubbles are constantly rising to the surface of the water. The same is true for gases. Our atmosphere is comprised mostly of nitrogen, oxygen, and argon gases. And as you can easily look up, they all have a similar density. And this is no accident. Helium and hydrogen gas are way less dense, and so they tend to float away. Anyone who's ever held a helium-filled balloon has seen this in action. And therein lies the trouble for helium. If it just rises above the air, if it just floats away, where do you go to find helium in the first place? Shouldn't it all have floated away by now? Out of our reach? Away from Earth? Well, yeah, of course it does. (laughs) That's why there's a shortage. And we'll talk about that shortage next time. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at poseidon.org, or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Poseidon Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us.